We come to our reading for this morning, which is in Matthew 16, verses 21 to 28, and can be found in the Church Bibles on pages on page 930. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward everyone according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Matthew's going to come and speak to us now. And I'm going to pray for you, even though I pray for you at the 9.30, you know, <laughs> we can... Continue to pray for Matthew. Father God, thank you for Matthew and the preparation that he has done uh, in Bible study and reflecting on your word this week. And we pray that you would bless his words um, and that you would speak through him to our hearts and that we would come away this morning with a fresh revelation of who you are and what you're calling us to be. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Les. <coughs> so, um, hello. Um, Neil, I think we found a new speaker in church. You've entered my radar. I thought you spoke very, very well about the Unity course. Um, I've clocked that now, so um, watch this space. There we are. There's a conversation coming up. Um, hello. It's great to be back with you. I was away for a beautiful bank holiday down on the south coast with um, Izzy and Sarah last week. Um, but um, as my time in Camborne draws to a close, I've really been um, praying about um, what it is that God has placed on, on my heart to share from uh, my time here. And so September is a kind of, in some ways, a disjointed series of talks because they're all standalone. They don't form a series, as you'll see from the term card. Um, we go into a series on the Trinity and life together in October, which helpfully really runs alongside the, um, the unity uh, material. So there should be good synergy between those two. Um, but September is a kind of standalone. Um, and so the messages I bring are things that I really feel God has put on my heart to speak out to you. But just to cite it within um, our year of discipleship, 
Um, we wanted to have a year where we focused in all our teaching series on what it is to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And we broke that down to make it more meaningful for us. So in, in the first term of the year, we focused on um, uh, following Jesus, uh, following Jesus to love Jesus, um, or something that's a bit better expressed than that, but it was all about how we follow Jesus and who Jesus really is. Um, then in term two, we follow Jesus to change the world. Um, and now in this term, which we're just starting, we're following Jesus to love each other. And a lot of what Pete shared, sorry, I always do this with Peter Neil. A lot of what Neil shared uh, was about um, handling disagreements well and about being together and how we do life together. So a really good series um, to start. And please do get involved in a home group from, uh, from me, please, if you're not in one and you just want to trial one for a season, then get stuck in. Um, and if you're not sure who the home group leaders are, then you can always email the office and they'll connect you uh, with those leaders. Here we go. I'm a daydreamer. At some point of every day, my mind will wander. And, um, and I'll start to um, imagine uh, dreams that I have, uh, both for my uh, ministry, for my family, um, the bucket list items that I have in my life, places I want to visit and see. But at some point of every day, I will daydream. <coughs> and the biggest time that I used to do this, because I don't have as much time as I used to um, to do that these days. Um, life's kind of taken that from me, uh, reluctantly. Um, but the time I used to do this majorly was on the school bus. So I went to secondary school in a place called Cowbridge in South Wales, and um, I lived in a small village called Llan Mice. Llan is difficult for anyone who isn't from Wales to say, so I'll forgive you in advance. Llan means place of the church, so good, good name. Um, and it was about 25, 30 minutes on the bus to school. And, and inevitably, shortly after um, the, the bus journey started, I would start to imagine what the future held and reimagine the present. And I particularly reimagined the present during the difficult seasons of life when um, reality was a bit too much to bear and, and I, I could imagine something different. I have to excuse me, I'm suffering from a bit of cold at the moment. So can we dare to be bold for a second and do a straw poll, which worked really well at the 9.30 service? Who here, Kevin's laughing already, is a daydreamer? <laughs> Put your hands up. Fantastic. We've got, I'm in good company. It's not everyone all the time. Some people aren't at all. Um, but there's a good um, number of Camborne Church, it seems, who are daydreamers. Um, and, and I'm among your number. Of course, without wishing to be too philosophical this morning, the future and our imagining of it is a construct. It hasn't happened yet, so it doesn't exist yet. The only thing that really exists is the here and now. So I'm definitely speaking um, in church now, and I'm speaking in front of all of you. I know that to be true. Who comes next week? We might be able to work out with some probability theory and so on. Um, but we don't know. The future is a construct in our minds. And my daydreaming about it, my imagining of the future is, is part of that, is part of that construct. The only thing we really have is the here and now, the present moment, us as we really are and the people around us as they really are. And my daydreaming where I 
um, reimagine reality is fun, it's escapism. I told a story at the 9.30 service that I, I went to university for the first time in Aberystwyth on the get-to, um, but beautiful, worth the journey. Um, and I lived throughout those three years with a group of friends, and um, my friend Liz uh, studied English literature. And as you can imagine, there were some weighty tones of English literary um, glory um, that Liz um, read and studied and wrote copious essays about as part of her degree. But then to kind of escape from her English literature degree, um, she would read Mills and Bloom um, in, in her downtime. Uh, complete trashy novels, to use Liz's own words, I've never read one. Uh, I've read other trashy novels. Um, but complete trash, as Liz would say. But it was just her way of escaping. It was just her way of switching off from essays and enjoying um, uh, the gift that reading is to us. But whether because the school bus arrived at school and I had to stop daydreaming or because someone needs something from you and you have to come back into the present moment, at some point or other we have to learn to accept the reality we see around us, otherwise we end up living um, in denial. And I want to recognise and call out that as I speak this morning, for some of you, denial might be a happier place than reality. Because some seasons of our lives are characterized by struggle and suffering. And sometimes the reality and living in the reality of those seasons is, is, is too much to bear. And so we turn to imagining um, to try and escape. And if that's you today, then I want to say that first of all, God understands where you are and is holding you in that season, but also that my prayers are with you. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn back, let's open them up um, to chapters 15 and 16 of Matthew's Gospel. I'm going to refer to a few things in both of those chapters. And chapters 15 and 16 of Matthew's Gospel are penetrating insights into who Jesus really is, not people's imagining of him or speculation about him, but who Jesus really is. The Jesus whom the disciples and the characters in these chapters actually encounter. They see him, hear him. I don't want to be so rude as to suggest smell him, but the senses are all there. They're in that encounter, in that place of meeting him as he really is. And this is why it's so important in our worship that the object of our worship always moves beyond intellectual stimulation, important though that is because we are called to renewing of our minds, but moves beyond intellectual stimulation into a place of encounter, a place where we meet Jesus. And because of the cross, we can stand before the throne of Christ unhindered. The Spirit brings revelation of who Jesus really is. And so though we can imagine Jesus, and it's beautiful to do that, when we come into this place of encounter in our prayer lives, in our worship, we are, when we read about Jesus in the Bible, we are actually encountering Jesus as he really is. And that's a glorious thing. And that should be the object of our worship. In these chapters, Matthew 15 and 16, we see the mercy of Jesus in his encounter with 
the Canaanite woman. I'm always, um, I'm always humbled as I read that passage. I'm going to be careful not to go into it too much. Um, but the humility of that Canaanite woman um, when she says, um, even, even dogs eat the food from their master's table. I, I'm just bowled over. Um, and if you're looking for an example of humility in the scriptures, I think that's probably up there with the best of them. Um, so we see that encounter. We see the servant leader, Jesus, in providing food for 4,000 um, people. And we see Jesus, the encourager, as he affirms Peter, saying, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Something very masculine about those verses for the men in church this morning. Um, Peter means rock, and... um, I don't know if this illustration is going to work because it relies on you kind of knowing the TV series, but has anyone seen the IT crowd? Oh, no, it's not the IT crowd. That's another series I love. Black, sorry, Black Books. Has any, okay, one, one or two people. Thank you, Lee. I thought you might have three. Okay, so this isn't really going to work. Uh, but I'll tell you the illustration and then implore you to go and watch it on um, iPlayer or YouTube or one of those. But in Black Books, there's, um, there's three central characters. Matt, um, Bernard, who runs a bookshop, um, and without characterising too much, is a drunk Irishman. Um, uh, Manny, um, who's his hippie helper, I think that's probably fair. Um, and uh, Fran, who um, is their friend and runs uh, a shop next door. And Fran sells a shop and she needs to get a job, so she gets this job and she doesn't really understand what it is, except the boss is shouty and sweary. This is a comedy, so don't, don't feel too upset at this point, um, and uh, she doesn't really know what she's meant to do. She sits at a desk, types, and then the boss says, Fran, you're going to present your ideas to the board. And she doesn't know what ideas she's expected to do. So she comes up with this beautiful management theory circle and just draws a dot and a circle. We've all sat in training courses like this, um, and an arrow, and she says, this is what our company is all about. And the fictional board stand up and applaud her and And the boss of that company, the shouty, sweary one, says, Fran, you're going to go far, you're going to run your own team, you're going to have your own car, and and all of these things. Um, And all because... um, I've actually forgotten my my point there. Um, Just have a look at the notes. It's an illustration of Jesus saying to Peter... I'm back with it now. Um, It's an illustration, if you're listening again, sorry... Um, Jesus saying to Peter, on you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and nothing can stop it. This Jesus will face suffering and death at the hands of the religious elite. And that's where our passage opens this morning. Let's look at verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And we'll come to Peter, who follows again in just a second. But I really want you to know that Jesus is saying these words whilst on a journey. He's not saying this in a static location. Um, He's on the journey to Jerusalem. 
so when Jesus talks about what will happen to him, it's not some mere gazing into the future, but he's actually going from Galilee to Jerusalem, and he's going to all these events, the suffering, the rejection, the death, that he's talking about. And I think that's useful background as we think about the words that Jesus is saying. He's talking whilst on that journey. And then in verse 24, he says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now it becomes real. Now the school bus has arrived and the daydream is over and we're no longer simply living with the imagination of who Jesus is, but being invited to follow him. And so I want to ask you reasonably directly, um, have you made that decision to follow Jesus? Have you been following him for several years or even decades with your lives? Have you lived through these periods of spiritual struggle and also known the joy of the Lord? And I want to ask you, you're sitting here this morning and you've been asking questions and haven't yet made that commitment. And maybe today is the morning when you might choose to begin this journey with Jesus Christ. A Jesus who you really encounter this morning, not with just mere words, but because Jesus reveals himself through his spirit, the Jesus who really loves you. So if that's you and you want to begin that journey, if something in what I say or what or the worship offers um, touches your heart, then please do come and grab me or someone who looks like they've been here a while um, after the service, and I'd love to pray with you. Let's go back to Peter. Verses 22 and 23. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wow. You might want to um, do a bit of express lectio divina in your mind's eye and try and put yourself into Peter's shoes. It'll be an uncomfortable experience. As Jesus rebukes you and says the words, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block to me. Peter, who has only just been told, you are the rock on which I will build my church and nothing can stop it, now finds himself in a very uncomfortable position moments later of being told, you're a stumbling block to me, get behind me. You wouldn't want to be Peter in the second half of this passage, would you? But Peter knows who Jesus really is. We know that through verse 16, uh, where um, we read, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. But the strength of Peter's rebuke to Jesus, and then the strength of Jesus' response or rebuke to Peter, is down to Peter's imagining of the life of the future Messiah. And the life of the Messiah in Peter's imagining was not characterized by suffering, rejection, and death. The other thing you need to get to understand this passage of Scripture and the strength of Jesus' response to Peter is what happens in Matthew chapter 4, which is the temptations of Christ in the wilderness. So the Greek word for, stu- uh, for stumbling block is scandalum, 
which translates as temptation. And it takes us back to the temptations that the devil gave Jesus after he had been baptized and after the Spirit led him into the wilderness, which you read about in Matthew chapter 4. So here in chapter 16, we witness this ongoing spiritual battle where the tempter Satan sets before Jesus temptations or stumbling blocks to disrupt God's plan and purpose. And above the entrance to um, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome is, is, a, is a beautiful piece of art depicting the fall, the spiritual fall, of Peter. And, and I think that's, a, that's quite brave and a credit to the Roman Catholic Church who say that, you know, the Pope stands in the succession of Peter because of these words that Jesus has just spoken um, to Peter, um, to, to picture the spiritual fall of the guy who was the first pope. This time, Peter is the mouthpiece. And I want to say something which is quite challenging now. Um, the difficult thing for Peter and for us is that sometimes our imagining of Jesus and our imagining of our lives is more aligned with the schemes of the devil than Jesus. So some challenging words this morning, but I, 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 do, I just want to repeat that point because we see it being played out here in this passage. The difficult thing for Peter and for us is that sometimes our imagining, our thinking about Jesus or about our lives is either unconsciously or consciously aligned closer to the devil's ways than Jesus's. The last temptation the, uh, the devil offers Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 is power over all nations that he can see. That was the last of the three temptations that he, you know, G, uh, the tempter gave Jesus. Turn stones into bread, fall off the temple, bow down and worship me and you'll get all these nations and sovereignty over them. Which is rather ironic because Jesus already had sovereignty over them. But that last temptation that the devil offers Jesus in Matthew 4 is the same stumbling block or temptation that Peter puts to Jesus, is that in his imagining of the majesty and the glory of the promised Messiah, someone who um, would be in his imagining, someone who had prestige and prominence and power, um, was completely at odds with the suffering servant that we know through Isaiah that the uh, true Messiah, Jesus, was to be. For those who choose to follow Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus does not wish to leave out the cost of discipleship to our imagining. Instead, he spells it out. And when I started to prepare this talk, I had in my mind this idea that to to follow someone or something, there has to be something attractive in, in, in order to make you desire to follow that person or, or philosophy or theology. Um, and to be able to follow something and decide that, yes, that's for me, you also have to kind of have an unblinkered view of yourself 
You have to know something of who you really are, even if you don't share that with others, to know that something else is something that you want to follow, if that makes sense. So that's the idea that I was working from when I started to prepare this talk. And it would be very easy, especially in our Western world, to have this idea that God is love and promises us eternity and, and, and will provide for our lives and all of those things are absolutely cast iron truths. But in this passage from Matthew, Jesus wants to spell out that alongside those things being cast iron truths, there is also the reality that to enter into the life of Christ is also to enter into his suffering so that we might enjoy glory with him. We have the privilege of sharing in the building of Christ's church. The promise that Jesus made to St. Peter, um, that on Peter he will build his church, came after that profession of Peter's faith that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So if we profess that same faith in Jesus as the Messiah, we join with Peter in being rocks on which Christ builds his church. So there's the, there's the great part. That's the exciting um, bit. But we also have to face into the reality that to live lives as disciples means to face struggles and suffering, even death. The reward is a share in the triumph of God and the reality of eternity. No fight, no victory, no cross, no crown. But because of the fight, because of the victory, there was a cross and there is a crown. And even on the days when our discipleship involves suffering, and even if our discipleship involves persecution, we're able to adjust our crowns and think, we are children of the living God. And we were bought at a great price. Let's pray. I think just two analogies as you remain in that place of prayer. One is a. Uh, one is of a. Uh, sorry. One is of the documentary Saving Lives at Sea, which charts the um, work of the Royal Not Not National Lifeboat Institution, lifeboat crews. And I've been, I've been amazed by how spiritual it strikes me that when in stormy seas a lifeboat crew gets to people in peril, um, the, the rescue of the lifeboat crews is like the rescue of Jesus in our lives. And, and in Psalm 139, um, it says, even in the stormy seas, your right hand will hold me fast. And so we'll pray into that in a moment. And the second thing that um, has just been with me for a couple of weeks now are, um, uh, is the song Oceans, which we've sung here. Um, and um, the line, Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you may lead me.
Father God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And we thank you that encountering him in worship and through encountering him in the scriptures and through encountering his still small voice in that place of prayer, that we can know Jesus not as our imagination dictates, but as the Spirit reveals. And Father, we thank you that in the stormiest of seas, your right hand holds us fast. In those seasons of suffering and rejection, as well in those seasons of joy and flourishing, your presence is with us. Your right hand holds us fast. And so call us and lead us, Father. Let our trust be without borders. Let our faith be without borders so that we may go wherever you may call us and give us boldness to accept that invitation. And all people and all God's people said, Amen.